Okay, so Galatians. Uh, I want to show you a, a picture. This is a cover of the Saturday Evening Post um, in October 1936. It looked like the following. It's a drawing by Leslie Thrasher <clears throat> called Tipping the Scales. So it shows a friendly neighborhood butcher and a sweet old lady uh, weighing her purchase at the butcher shop. And if you look closely, you can see that the butcher and the lady are each trying to tip the scale in their own favor. So the point is that no matter how friendly we are, no matter how sweet we are, each of us has in our nature to put ourselves first, ahead of the other person. It's our fallen nature, and it sometimes leads us to behave in some very unchristlike ways. As we close out this series on Galatians, Paul talks uh, here at the end of chapter 6 about the fact that we are a new creation. Okay? We are a new creation. If we're in Christ, we are a new creation because of the cross. Because of the cross, we live with reality of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, where the future reality of the kingdom is breaking into the present, where we are being restored, we are being made whole, we are becoming more Christ-like, we are being made more holy. And as I said a few weeks ago, that process is um, sometimes taking a step forward, sometimes taking two steps back. But as we learn to keep in step with the Spirit, the future reality of the kingdom of God breaks into the present. And over time, we are becoming the people we will be for the rest of eternity. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the old creation and then contrast that with the new creation. Give us some understanding here. So since that's what Paul is talking about here, the new creation, it's important to understand the difference between the two of them, okay? So the book of Genesis teaches that mankind was created to reflect the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So out of all the things that God created, human beings alone were created in his image, so there is a part of us, of each of us, that is literally not of this world. Human beings possess an intrinsic worth that is unique in all of creation, right? But as we know from the beginning, mankind's relationship with God has been characterized by disobedience, right? Satan tempted Eve, Eve enticed Adam, both of them ate the forbidden fruit. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And the snake, he didn't have a leg to stand on. Anyway, it's an old joke, but it's a good one. <clears throat> anyway, seriously, so through that one act of disobedience, Sin entered the world and it literally like started rippling outward. And it accelerated pretty quickly, right? Cain killed Abel. 
Um, and they just kept going on, killing, tortures, wars, on and on throughout history, right? The result is that the human race created in God's image is bound by sin and subject to death and corruption. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So this passed on sin is known as inherited sin. Just as we inherit physical characteristics from our parents, so we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam. So this old way of life, this, this old creation is what I'm talking about. The old creation is where it's natural to boast of our accomplishments, to take pride in our achievements, uh, to do what we can to tip the scales in our favor. I mean, even in the smallest ways, if we're self-aware, if we are perceptive, we can see how self-centered we can be, right? We're in a conversation with someone. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, we realize uh, we're not really listening anymore. We're waiting for our turn to talk. And preferably, best case scenario, we can talk about ourselves, right? It's in the bigger things, too. We find that we can be manipulative. We find that we can try to seek control. Um, even at our attempts at righteousness, it can devolve into a self-righteousness, really a, a perverted version of the dance of grace that we've been talking about. A righteousness that's simply a scorecard of all of our good deeds, all of our religious activities. The old creation is concerned about where we land in the pecking order of society. Uh, sometimes we're not even conscious that we're doing it. We'll, we'll ask someone, uh, so what do you do? And the question seems benign enough. Um, but behind it is an, can be an unspoken, um, am I talking to a garbage man? Am I talking to an engineer? Or am I talking to a CEO? In the old creation, we judge people by what they look like. We judge them by what they have. We judge them by what they do. That's the old way. It's the way of the flesh. It's the way of the world. But in Christ, there is a new way. There is a new creation, a new way to be alive in this world. Here at the end of the book of Galatians, Paul points to this new creation that we have and that we are becoming in Jesus Christ. Paul describes this new creation to the Galatians, and you've heard these phrases throughout this series. I'm just kind of summarizing them. We are born again as a child of God. We are offspring of Abraham, according to the promise. We are justified by faith, not by works of the law. We are no longer slaves, but heirs of God. We are set free by Christ. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. We are alive because of the spirit who lives in us, the spirit of Christ. We are living by faith at work through love. And through that faith, having received the Holy Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, we live in the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, and through the Spirit, we cry out to God, Abba, 
Father. This is the new creation. Because of what Christ did and because we have his spirit living inside of us, we can now live as a people no longer defined by race, no longer defined by nationality, no longer defined by wealth, no longer defined by education, or by any other human means by which we judge one another, by which we rank one another. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we are now a new creation. We are a child of God. So that's the good news. Here's the problem. If we are absolutely honest with ourselves, we hear those truths about being a new creation, about being a child of God. And while we may believe them, we can see a disconnect between this new creation we're talking about and the reality of who we find ourselves being in our everyday lives. I mean, when we come to faith in Christ, we find some things change right away, right? If we're just completely honest, okay? Some things change right away. Some things change gradually over time, sometimes years, sometimes decades, okay? And if we're really honest, there are some things that don't seem to have changed at all, right? So what do we do with that? So the temptation is to go in one of two directions, okay? Either we go too far in one direction and we ignore all the things the Spirit has done in our lives to change us and we become super focused on what hasn't changed and we begin to despair. Or we go too far in the other direction and we just gloss over those things that haven't changed yet. We pretend like they don't, they're not even there and that somehow we've already arrived. Maybe it's a faulty theology that makes us so focused on what we should be by now that we're afraid to recognize or acknowledge where we fall short. The former is too focused on how far they fall short and ignores the transforming work of the Spirit in their lives. They don't give themselves enough grace. The latter is too focused on the completed work of the Spirit in their lives and sees it as almost lacking faith or dishonoring God to even acknowledge where they fall short. If you remember in my message series, Breakthrough, uh, from a few months ago, I talked a lot about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus ushered in the kingdom through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. The kingdom was inaugurated, but it will, has not yet been consummated. The kingdom is here but it is not yet fully here. It's why we see evidence of both the future reality of the kingdom of God here on the earth, but we also see evidence of the kingdom of darkness, right? Where the enemy is trying to take out as many people as he can before his eventual defeat. So in the same way, your future self, the person that you will be in the eschaton, right? After the end of the world, that person, if you are in Christ, 
is breaking into this present reality. Literally, the person who you will be in heaven is trying to break into who you are today with new habits and a renewed mind, right? Meaning new ways of thinking, new priorities, um, literally growing your ability to love. The more you keep in step with the Spirit, dancing the dance of grace, the more your future self is breaking in and gradually replacing your current self. So over the years, I've been in several um, different accountability groups, um, and I've helped a lot of people form accountability groups. So what's an accountability group? Um, accountability group is typically smaller than a small group, usually two, three um, people, typically same gender, um, who meet regularly to confess to each other, to pray for each other, to generally hold one another accountable in areas that you want to grow in. It's based on James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, right? So I am a fan of such groups, but one of the problems with accountability groups is that they can end up being more focused on resisting sins than on pursuing Christ-likeness. Over time, if the method of accountability is to just go around and ask each person if they have sinned in a particular way since the last meeting, then success gets defined as sin resistance instead of spiritual growth. One of the things I collect um, is historical accountability questions. Like accountability questions throughout history. So one of my favorites is John Wesley's. And so first, in, he called his accountability groups bands. And uh, first question he would have you ask in your band was, how hast thou sinned in word, thought, or deed since last we met? It's like straight in, go for the throat. And the last question you would ask was, hast thou lied in anything that, that's how <laughs> thou hast said? <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> so in this kind of setting, um, sin can get the spotlight while becoming more like Christ stays in the shadows. So imagine a group of people who are trying to lose weight. Okay, so I used to weigh 300 pounds and I lost 90 of them at one point so I can relate to this one, all right? I was a bigger man than you see before you, okay? So what if, what if their meetings, these people who are trying to lose weight, um, focused on all the foods they resisted during the week, right? <laughs> so one person resisted the juicy cheeseburger, that craving that she had, um, another person mustered the self-control to put down that big bag of M&Ms. Um, another person got a salad instead of the usual fried food thing that they would order. So you can see how their conversations become focused on the food that they resisted. Um, the temptation gets all the attention rather than having a vision for what it would look like to be healthy, to be fit, to be strong, to live a long life, to have enough energy to play with your kids, right? It's 
There is a better way, and it is by shifting the focus away from sin management and focusing it towards the people that we want to become. Um, Too often our attention is focused on the sins of the past, which we end up feeling guilty for, or temptations in the present, which we're working really hard to resist. What we need is not just a sober assessment of our present state, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help bring us into the future, like bring that future self into the present. Question is, who are you becoming? Who has God called you to be for the rest of eternity? Like that person. Victory doesn't come because we've got our eyes on the sin that would trip us up, but because we have our eyes on the Savior in whose image we are created. So here's a quote uh, from a recent TED Talk by Daniel Goldstein on why temptation is hard to resist. This is a secular speaker, but he makes some interesting points. It should come up on the screen there. Uh, It's an unequal battle between the present self and the future self. I mean, let's face it, the present self is present. It's in control. It's in power right now. It has these strong, heroic arms that can lift donuts into your mouth. (laughs) And the future self is not even around. It's off in the future. It's weak. Doesn't even have a lawyer present. There's nobody to stick up for the future self. And so the present self can trounce all over its dreams. So there's this battle between the two selves that's being fought. And we need commitment devices to level the playing field between the two. So I would argue that there is someone to speak up for the future self, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's my take on that. Everything I talked about uh, in the message I gave a couple weeks ago on how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit addresses that. But we can't become our future self without the Holy Spirit's help. So the thing I want to point out here is that one of the keys to living in the truth of the new creation that Paul talks about is allowing the Holy Spirit to supplant or gradually replace your current self with your future self. Literally, every choice, every micro decision we make is an opportunity to go in one direction or the other. Every one. Here's a good illustration of that. So C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about how significant the effect is of every small, seemingly insignificant choice we make over the whole course of our life. So so here's a quote from Mere Christianity. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, 
an eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Interesting. So let's get back to the accountability group discussion. Is there value in them? Absolutely. But when Paul talks at the end of Galatians chapter 6 about being transformed into a new creation, he's not just wanting us to focus on sin management. We need the whole church to be united. Not united on focusing just on specific sins and temptations, but united by a love of Jesus and a vision for who God created us to be and a vision for bringing God's future kingdom into this present world. We need more than accountability for what we're struggling with. We need a vision for the future selves that we're becoming. So let's take a specific example just to make it clear, real clear, crystal clear, okay? So let's say the sin uh, that you're struggling with, um, and I'll put this delicately since it's Family Sunday, um, is looking at stuff you shouldn't, okay? We'll put it that way. So let's say you uh, embraced this habit um, your entire life without ever being found out. Fast forward 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. What would the state of, the, of your future self be? Okay. Over time, what happens is you begin to decay from the inside out. You find it harder to enjoy healthy relationships. Um, you find it harder to enjoy your spouse, your children, the things of God. Um, your sensitivity to God's word, to prayer, to worship, to the presence of the Holy Spirit, they all become deadened. Now imagine the other trajectory. Okay, with a growing sense of God's forgiveness and his grace, with a ruthless intensity on relying on both the Holy Spirit and the community of grace, you are growing more and more into a spirit-filled prayer warrior and is committed to keeping in step with the Spirit and is following his leading. And even if you fall, as the righteous man does, you get up and the battle goes on, right? Proverbs 24, 16 says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Your eyes, however, are not on the sins you've stumbled over in the past, but on the Savior who cheers you on in the race, okay? And you are finding victory not through years and years of sin management, but by allowing the Holy Spirit to give you a vision for the man or woman you are becoming, the person that you will be for the rest of eternity. Right? Your future self is not some shriveled soul limping through the last years of your life. Okay? But it is a spiritually healthy, shining force of righteousness filled with the grace and the courage you need not just to fight sin, but to walk out your calling in the kingdom of God, whatever that may be, right? Which future self do you want to be? 
That's an important question to answer. And it doesn't just have implications for you personally. You are not the only one affected by your choices. Okay, the radical implications of the gospel are that in addition to setting us free to be the people God created us to be, we are set free to be the tangible presence of Christ in a world that is caught up in the brokenness of the fall. We are called, if we are in Christ, we are called to be ambassadors of heaven, to be his agents, God's agents of new creation, bringing glory to God, who is setting the world right, right, by healing the sick, by bringing freedom to the captives, by comforting the distressed, by forgiving debts, by grieving with those who mourn, and so on, and so on, and so on. That is who God created you to be. That is the new creation. Okay, here's an observation I've had. Maybe I'm wrong. This is my, my observation. The next generation that's coming up is not satisfied with churches just having the right doctrine. Um, even experiencing the Holy Spirit. That's awesome, but that's not enough either. And while they like hanging out and having community and breaking bread together, that's not enough either. They want to see the gospel of grace, the kingdom of God, actually have an impact on this world. We say we're a new creation, they say, so what? What difference is it making in the world? Right? Are we being a tangible presence of Christ in our community? Or are we just focused on ourselves? Are we in essence saying, I'm just focused on myself, my sin management, and my spiritual growth? And the rest of the world can just go to hell. Those are the questions that they're asking, right? If we are a new creation, as Paul says we are, then each of us is not just being renewed individually, okay? but the Spirit is using us to renew and to bring restoration in some way to the world around us. Doesn't have to be a big thing. God uses even the smallest things, right? He's the God who multiplies the fish and the loaves. But this new creation is not only us following the leading of the Holy Spirit to allow him to renew and restore us individually. We are also following his leading to bring restoration, to bring renewal in some way to the world around us. So, we actually have an opportunity to do just that coming up. Um, someone who attends here, Wendy Preston, um, has been attending this summer, and in a few weeks, uh, she'll be heading back to Yuma, Arizona. <clears throat> she serves in a ministry to the homeless there called the Rock Tour Bus Ministry. 
Um, and over the next three weeks, um, I'm inviting you to uh, bring in some things to help with the homeless. So some gently used clothing. Um, they need shoes, size 7 to 13, jeans, size 28 to 40, any kind of shirts, socks, underwear, winter jackets, sweatshirts, belts, gloves, sleeping bags, backpacks, blankets, any kind of personal supplies. They don't need children's clothing, though. All of that is in your bulletin. Like, I'm not expecting you to remember everything I just said. Like, we thought through and printed it on your bulletin handout, so you could take that with you. Um, but the next three weekends, so 8.22, 8.29, and 9.5, feel free to bring any of those items. Um, we'll have a bin out in the gathering space um, those next three weekends. You can just bring those donations to church and put them in that bin. Continue to pray that the Lord would reveal to us specifically how he wants to use this church to be his hands and feet in the community and in the world. Okay? That he would open doors and opportunities where we, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Lord. Let's do that. Right? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Which many had a sensitivity to where God was moving <clears throat> in the world. We want that sensitivity. We want to see where he's leading us to be the hands and feet, to be a visible demonstration of the future reality of the kingdom of God. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are a new creation if we're in Christ, God. Thank you that we're becoming the people we'll be for the rest of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would continue to renew and restore each of us, that you would also use us to renew and restore the world around us. God, that we would be ambassadors of heaven, agents of the new creation, bringing glory to you by being the hands and feet of Christ. Lord, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you're changing us and that you're using us to bring change to a world that needs to see your love and your light. I pray that in Jesus' name.